Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast, we are joined by Simon Pilkington. Simon is the very first investor for Bean Ninjas. We're going to learn about his experience and his first investment with Bean Ninjas. And we're also going to learn from him what it's like to try and find your very first investment, some due diligence he went through in order to be able to find uh, Bean Ninjas and determine that it was a good fit for him and his first investment. And we're also going to find out from Meryl Johnston's side, the CEO of Bean Ninjas, the risks and due diligence that she had to consider in order to agree to take on her very first investor. So we're going to get into all of that and learn a lot about a first-time investor, both from the company side and the investor side, in this week's episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. Welcome again, everyone, to the Bean Ninjas podcast. I am your co-host, Elizabeth Powers, joined once again by my co-host, Meryl Johnston. Meryl, how are you? I'm good, thanks. It's been an interesting week at Bean Ninjas. We just a couple of days ago announced that Wayne Richard, who is based in Arizona in the United States, has been made a partner, an equity partner at Bean Ninjas. So that was a huge announcement for the team. And I'm actually flying over to Arizona in a couple of days to meet with Wayne and and launch our U.S. office. That is a huge announcement, and I love that. I know that we're going to be speaking with Wayne in an upcoming episode, so that's perfect timing, and I'm really excited to get his feedback and kind of hear how all of that is going. And I know you're still settling into the new house. Have you been doing lots of yoga on your porch? We haven't. I've been spending more time doing maintenance than I have doing <laughs> yoga, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, and that's that's the downside of home ownership, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. It's come as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, exactly. And they say too, you know, once you start on, on projects on the house, it's just it's never done. It's just a new hobby that you have. So congratulations on your new hobby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, we are joined today. I'm really excited for today's podcast because we're joined by your one and only investor in Bean, Ninja, in Bean Ninjas who joined you not too long ago, and that's Simon Pilkington. Simon, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. Now, tell me, where are you joining us from? Because you are not in the same part of Australia that Merrill is. Is that right? No, I'm in the colder part of Australia, down uh, in the sort of southeast, I guess you'd say, in Victoria, uh, a little surf town called Torquay in Victoria, which is closest to Melbourne. So oh, nice. Well, it sounds lovely. Yeah, it's a great little place. Um, it is a little bit colder this time of year, though, so I'm hoping that I can get to uh, to fly up and see Mel pretty soon and get in some of the warm water rather than the cold that we have down here. I completely understand. I'm not a fan of cold weather at all. I'm in Florida in the U.S., but I'm in the northern part of Florida, and winter here, of course, people that live you know, in the northern U.S. totally laugh at Floridians when we put on like beanies and scarves, and we're like, it's so cold, but it's, it's cold enough for me to wear a beanie and a scarf, and that's too cold for me, but I think if you hang out with Meryl long enough, she might convince you to move, because just listening to her talk about her commitment to surfing and how awesome it is in the ocean that early in the morning, I'm like, I want to move there now. 
<laughs> yeah, well, Meryl knows that we've got the, the best waves down here, though. Down oh, here, so. oh, oh, debatable, so, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's Meryl that'll be moving. What do I know? <laughs> well, Simon, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast today, and I want to start by going into a little bit about what is it about investing. I mean, obviously, a lot of people. Probably most investors will say, well, it's the potential to make more money with doing hardly any of, you know, the actual work of building the company. But I know from your perspective, there were some different motivators for becoming an investor to begin with. So what got you interested in investing? And tell me a little bit about the path that led you to be ninjas and to Merrill. So what got me interested in investing? So I think there comes a point in, in most entrepreneurs' lives, if they're lucky or if they're fortunate, that they get to a point where they've had some, some level of success um, and they're looking to somehow take the next step, which for some people, if they've, they've built a successful business and um, maybe they've exited that business, then um, they're looking around for, okay, how can I uh, you know, use leverage um, to, to build something even bigger or to, to get involved in other things. So I think there's kind of an expectation, actually, for, for successful entrepreneurs to step into investing. Um, and I think I started to investigate that and follow that path a little bit myself, um, Yeah, maybe about a year and a half ago now. You and so, Meryl... I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You, I was going to say, I think you and Meryl, if I remember correctly, you met at D.C. What exactly is D.C.? So D.C. is the Dynamite Circle, which is a membership uh, community that Meryl and I are both members of. Um, I've been a member of the, the Dynamite Circle for about five years now, and it started out really as more a bunch of friends who were interested in um, lifestyle design and, and location independence and achieving those things through through businesses, um, based on a, a lot of the Tim Ferriss um, theories, the Four Hour Work Week. If you're familiar with, with that book and Tim's theories, um, so yeah, so I've been a part of that community for a little while now. And Meryl also has been part of that community, so that's that's where we met. And so there must have been some process that you followed, whether you realized it was a process or not at the time. There was some process you followed that led you to be ninjas. What did that look like for you as a first-time investor? How did you go about finding the right fit for you? Well, as I was looking around, I was also involved in a mastermind with Merrill. Uh, our mastermind is a group where we meet every couple of weeks uh, on the phone uh, with other people as well, and we discuss challenges in our business. Um, and Meryl and I have been talking about some of the challenges in being ninjas, and I kind of clicked onto that um, some of these challenges could be could be solved or could be assisted by having an investor in the business. So you saw that it would possibly be a fit for you based on um, what you could add to the company um, as an investor, which I think that's a really important note that we don't hear about very much when we're talking about investors and startup companies is besides the funds, what can an investor bring to the table? And Meryl, I know at some point, you know, initially, I think if I remember correctly, you weren't really um, 
necessarily looking for, you weren't out there looking for investors, you weren't running pitch decks or anything like that. What, what, at what point in this relationship did you think, okay, yeah, maybe working with Simon as an investor might be great for us? I think the reason that I hadn't been actively looking for investment was that I I wasn't sure that our business model would be attractive to investors. It seemed like the people or the types of businesses that were getting funding were a SaaS startup, which had huge growth potential. And while I was confident that Beninja did have growth potential and it had the potential to be a global business, I wasn't sure whether that would be attractive to investors because I'd never heard of an investor investing in a productized service business model before. Mm-hmm. And so that was why I wasn't actively looking. So it was actually Simon that mentioned to me or, or started that conversation about whether or made that suggestion about investing in Bean Ninjas. And as soon as he suggested that, I, I also knew that we were constrained by cash flow and that having some more or a capital injection into the business would really fast track some of the projects that we were wanting to work on, which would help with growth. And so as soon as he mentioned that, then I I already had things that I wanted to spend money on and projects to implement. So for me, it was then learning more about what an investment process would look like and how to structure that. So this was new for both of you. Simon, tell me a little bit about what the arrangement, and I know you probably don't want to get into real specifics about your, your contract agreement, but Tell me a little bit about the arrangement. How did you organize it? Is it typical for um, a first investor in a young company, or is there anything different about your agreement? I really don't know because um, I have, this has been my only significant private investment. So I think Merrill and I both did a lot of self-education, and we, we tried our best to educate each other, and we were pointing each other towards, um, you know, blog articles and things like that, that that could be helpful for each other as we were trying to come towards an agreement and how to solidify that agreement on paper in some way. Mm-hmm. I see, too, that there is a really interesting similarity between you and Merrill, and it is that there is no ego involved in what you do that is preventing you from doing things like educating yourself and kind of saying, hey, I've never been here before. I don't know it all. But let's let's walk down this road and learn as much as we can. What sources did you have available? I know you mentioned Tim Ferriss at one point. Were there any other um, sort of digital mentors that you leaned on to help walk you through this process? So I think the community that Marilyn and I are both part of, the, the DC, um, there are some people there who have some experience in, in similar kinds of investments. So one guy in particular there, Travis, um, he was quite helpful with some of the presentations that he'd done. Mm-hmm. And also some of the recommendations that I got from the guys in the DC around um, books to read and stuff. Um, so one book that I read that was really helpful to me um, was Angel by Jason Calacanis. Um, he's kind of a, a big VC guy or a big angel investor uh, in Silicon Valley. And he's been very candid about his investments and, and what is involved, what that kind of looks like. Excellent. And Meryl, at the point that you, when you finally got to the point of saying, okay, I think this is going to be something I want to do, what was your approach to uh, formulating an agreement? There were a number of steps. So first was doing as much reading as I could and trying to 
trying to learn from people that have done it before and what what mistakes can you make if you do bring on an investor. Then my background is accounting and some of that crosses over into the legal side of things too. So then I was looking at a whole lot. I read a number of different examples of different shareholder agreements and tried to learn about the different clauses that you should include in a shareholder agreement and then also sought out advice from from different people that I knew that had had experience with this too. So once you got to the point of, you know, you've, you've, you've come to an agreement, you've agreed on the numbers and how it's going to work, how do you run the relationship from there? Simon, are you a very involved investor? Are you getting weekly updates? Are you just wanting quarterly information? Are you giving advice? What is, what is your role as an investor look like from day to day, week to week, month to month? I think, Elizabeth, I'd just like to touch on a point that the the investor and um, CEO fit for Merrill and I mm-hmm. was was very important to me, um, and the amount of trust that we actually have in each other is, is very important to me, much more important than the paperwork. So I was kind of happier, you know, all my previous business dealings have always been almost handshake kind of deals. Um and although we needed some paperwork around the, the Bean Ninjas um, investment, it, for me, I, I'm more reliant on the relationship and the trust than on the paperwork. And I think that speaks to, Meryl, you and I have talked about this in previous episodes about how responsible you were when you were setting up the company, you and Ben together. Um, you made sure that you continued working so that you were not spreading yourself so thin in your personal finances that it became a problem professionally. And I know that the way you run Bean Ninjas, you know, you're always, like you said, very conscious of cash flow and making sure that you're not risking more than you can afford to lose. So I think that speaks volumes that you attracted the ideal investor for you because of how true to your belief um, system and, and arranging the company financially in a way that you thought was responsible and fair. Um, how how was he able to convince you that he was the right investor for you? I mean, obviously, if someone walks up to me and says, I want to give you some money, <laughs> my knee-jerk response is, yeah, sure, give it to me. But then, you know, there comes some onus with that. You know, you have to make sure that you can trust him as well and that what he's expecting is something you feel like you can deliver in the time frame that he wants. What was it about Simon that made you feel comfortable moving forward? I think there were a couple of different factors. And one was about what my role would look like after having an investor. So I would have some accountability because someone else has a stake in the business. But it was really important to me that I still had the ability to make decisions and and make decisions quickly to drive the business forward. And one factor was that while I really wanted to work with someone who would be able to provide advice or act as a sounding board, I wanted to have the ability to make those decisions rather than having to get approval for everything. And that was something that Simon was very happy in leaving the day-to-day operations in my hands and with some major shareholder-type decisions needing to come through him. And then because we already had a relationship, I'd already seen in the mastermind the kind of comments and feedback that Simon had been providing to me and other people in the mastermind. And I really liked his approach to business, which I feel is similar to mine. And Simon talked about trust. And I think that was really important in setting up the deal. And we've talked about trust and personal reputation in previous podcast episodes. But that was something that I learned throughout this process 
if we had tried to lock down every detail and every scenario in into our agreement, we would have spent tens of thousands of dollars on legal fees, mm-hmm. which th- this was a major deal for Bean Ninjas, but in the scheme of investments, it's not huge amounts of money and, and that could have all been eaten up by legal fees. And that was where having that level of trust and having already been in that mastermind together for more than 12 months really helped. And now I'm, I'm really appreciating having Simon's involvement in the business. And when there are major decisions like Wayne coming on as, as a partner, I, I really appreciate having someone in my corner that's got a stake in Bean Ninjas and is available and willing to talk through different scenarios with me. Really nice to hear that, you know, this this many months post-agreement, you both feel like you made a great choice in choosing to work together. Simon, as a first-time investor, having made it this far post-investment, um, what are some pitfalls, risks, um, tips, advice that you would give to our listeners who are considering moving into the investor category? Uh, um I would say uh, don't underestimate how much work it is to do first a thorough job of due diligence before you make the investment mm-hmm. um, because you really, Meryl and I have the advantage of knowing each other from our mutual um, networking group, the Dynamite Circle. We also have the advantage of being in a mastermind together for a year or so before, so we got some to know the business quite well. Um you know, we had we had a lot of trust already before we even started talking about investment. So if you just meet, if you just get an introduction to somebody who you don't know, then having to go and do the um, the due diligence and, and background into that uh, that entrepreneur and that, that business that you're going to be investing in is a very significant amount of work. And then I think to be, for, for me personally anyway, to... Um, to be a good investor also involves contributing to the business uh, as far as maybe advice or, as Meryl said, being a sounding board um, and actually being in, involved in promoting the business as well. Um, so there's, there's quite a lot of work around it. And, that, you know, that's not the same approach everybody would take, but I would, that's the approach that I take. And I think it's the right approach. Really good advice. So, Meryl, I know you have a couple of questions, or I think you do, that you wanted to add. We've, we've got a couple minutes left. What questions do you want to ask Simon that you think the audience would be interested in hearing? The first question follows on from what you were asking, Simon, around advice for a first-time investor. And, Simon, you've talked about some of the, the time involvement and, and that it actually might be a bigger responsibility and a bigger time investment in making a good investment. Are there any risks that first-time investors should be aware of or things they can do to mitigate those risks? Yeah, um, there are a lot of risks for sure. So in Bean Ninjas, although I am a shareholder, I'm not the director. Uh, Meryl, we we talked through that quite a lot before we set up the agreement. So um, basically there are, only, there are only a couple of things that actually have to go to shareholders for approval um, within Bean Ninjas. So, I mean, you are solely responsible for running Bean Ninjas um, from the directorship point of view. Uh, recently, um, been on a course with the Australian Institute of Company Directors, which has actually taught me a lot about um, the responsibilities of, of being a director or, or being on the board. 
Um, so there's a lot of kind of personal liability that comes into into it when you're so involved in a business. And even if you are not a director on paper, you can be considered to be either de facto director or shadow director as well. So, yeah, watch out for that that um, personal liability thing because especially when you've got to a place in life where you've you kind of built an asset base, um, you are putting that at risk by being uh, involved in other businesses. That's a great answer. And I think sometimes people aren't or don't consider the risks involved in being a director. It's not something that is really talked about or not, not that commonly in, in the circles that we're in. I have another mm-hmm. another question related to that. And that's a question that I've been asked and you, I think you've been asked as well. And that comes back to how do you calculate a fair CEO wage? Because obviously the higher the CEO is paid, the less profit that is available for distribution. And I think that it, from the outside, I know that a lot of people are interested in how do you actually calculate what what that should be without dis- without disadvantaging one party or the other. Yeah, so uh, we we talked about this a little bit, and there has been some discussion um, in the DC as well about this, right? Um, and my my personal opinion on it is that the CEO should get a fair market rate. Uh, maybe it's going to have to be a little bit less as the business grows, but w- the intention should be that the CEO is fully uh, fully and properly compensated for the role that they play in the business, just the same as everybody else's. Um, and distribution should only be above and beyond that. Yeah, and that was something that's been interesting for us to work through and I, I have a similar, or I hold a similar opinion where I think the CEO should be paid a market rate or, or a little bit less, but it definitely shouldn't be a CEO, a new CEO or a CEO that's just had investment shouldn't be paying themselves an enormous salary rather than using that money for growth, but it needs to be reasonable mm-hmm. so then they can live comfortably and their focus isn't on worrying about personal finances and they can concentrate on growing the business with the intention of making profits that can be distributed to the investor once they've gone through that growth phase or even as they're going through it. And I think it is a bit of a balancing act getting that right. But if you have both parties wanting the best for the business and each other, then I think you can come to a, a position that's fair. And I feel like that's what we've done. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, the last thing that, that any investor should be um, doing is putting the, the CEO of the business that they've invested in in a stressful situation in their personal life because they can't, you know, they can't pay the bills or, or whatever. So, Meryl, my last question is going to be for you, and it's similar to one of the questions you just asked Simon, which is, what advice do you have for other young companies that are considering taking on an investor or two? Um, what do you think are the risks that they need to consider and what advice do you have for them? I mean, obviously you and Simon kind of got lucky because you had familiarity and a relationship within a professional organization already, but even still, there's always an opportunity for, you know, for there to be a moment when you realize you're not seeing eye to eye or you want different things or even just something as simple as the CEO's compensation. You, you have a difference of opinion about that. What advice do you have for companies and CEOs considering taking on investors, based on your experience with Simon, what are some things that you've learned that you'd like to share? Number one would be to consider whether you actually need the investment, because in some cases, the business model or what you're trying to achieve may not need investment. So I think, first of all, work out whether it is going to help or not. And so in Benita's case, 
it definitely did. Next, I would look at what kind of investor you're wanting and what kind of relationship. So are you wanting someone that can provide mentoring advice? And, and if you are, then it's helpful if you could, if you feel like you have a good relationship or can build a good relationship. And then also, what level of management control are you willing to give up and what level of control does the investor want? Because if you're wanting to be able to make decisions but the investor wants a lot of items to be approved by them, that may cause conflict down the track. And then lastly, it's going to be a long-term relate or potentially it's going to be a long-term relationship. It's not that easy to sell investment in a private company. So it's probably going to be a long-term relationship. So think through whether you feel like you can work with this person in the long term. Absolutely. Excellent advice. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great having you on the podcast and learning a little bit about um, your relationship with being ninjas and investing as a first-time investor. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And that will do it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Once again, thank you everyone for joining us for this week's episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. I am your co-host, Elizabeth Powers, and we were really grateful to Simon Pilkington for joining us this week. Definitely a lot of great information and valuable knowledge he shared with us in this episode. Remember, as always, to check the show notes for links to blogs and other resources we discussed in this episode. Check out the Bean Ninjas blog at beanninjas.com forward slash blog and follow us on Twitter and Facebook to keep in touch with we week-to-week and day-to-day updates on what's going on at Bean Ninjas. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day.